Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the Eat Well, Move Well podcast, episode 7. Uh, I'm Roland Denzel. I am here with uh, my wife, Galia. Say hi. Hi. And we are here with a special guest, Autumn Greeson, who is a good friend of ours and also a registered dietitian. And we're really excited to have Autumn on the show today because we have a lot of there are a lot of questions about what it is to be an RD and some of the differences between RDs and nutritionists, things like that. But also we wanted to get her take on I don't know, some of the things that come up in, in the world of fitness and nutrition. Yeah, and also some questions that we get. I feel like it's really nice to get different points of view. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this. So like, um, like all of our shows, we talk about some of the, the sort of the current events, some of the things you see in the news, and uh, we're going to invite Autumn right here to uh, just join in right along with us. You don't have to wait until the end for the interview okay. part or anything like that. We'll grill you later. Just chime in. Ch- chime in, yep. And um, let's see. Okay, so before we start, before we hit record, we were talking about something that happened. I was uh, running around like crazy this afternoon. And doing a little shopping, I was picking up some groceries for my dad and uh, something for us for the for dinner. And while I was at the grocery store, there was a personal trainer doing a uh, grocery store tour for like four or five of her clients. I'm so happy I wasn't there. <laughs> it was ugly. It would have been very hard for me not to roll my eyes. What I will say <laughs> is that they were having fun, and she meant well, and they were. Probably didn't do better than, judging by the judging by how how they were talking, they were probably making better choices than they were making previously. previously. Yeah. But in the end, there was a cart filled with um, well, there was beer in there, which I'm, not, I'm totally holding against holding against it. But the rationale for the beer they chose was it that like it's beer? whole wheat. Because it was like That's a wheat, it was a wheat beer, beer. and yeah, beer. and so this is healthier than what? than regular beer. Now, if anything, <laughs> I'm gonna go with beer. I'm gonna go the opposite because you want the beer that does the least damage. Yeah. So I would say a lighter beer, a uh, you know a more filtered beer is gonna have less, uh, fewer calories because these women were most most concerned about calories, and then they went ahead and chose this uh, really heavy wheat beer uh, just because. Now, I, I'm not going to say that anything that always tastes like yeah. a heavy beer is always going to be high in calories or the worst for you, because Guinness is one of the, the least cal- caloric mm-hmm. of any beer out there. So, um, but I've actually looked this one up before, and it's about um, 250 calories a bottle. So, compared to like a 150 calories or for like, like a, a Corona or, or like a Michelob for 60. Right, those nickel of ultra. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can justify her a little bit because if it's a heavier beer, maybe she wanted them to just drink one versus lighter beer. Point. You maybe it was an AA meeting shopping tour. Maybe yeah. she was maybe. <laughs> just <laughs> cut down on beer instead I just, of a I don't know why. I don't know, <laughs> but okay, so. Yeah, whole wheat beer, and I don't think I don't know if it was whole wheat anyway, but that was her rationale. So yeah. I, I've never really looked into like a wheat, a wheat beer, beer, whether it's made whole wheat. I think the the whole wheat aspects of it are probably filtered out anyway. Yeah, so, there's probably no beer fail. Beneficial. Okay, so beer aside beer from that, um, there was a discussion in the um, in the poultry section versus frozen versus fresh. Okay. And um, it didn't really seem to make sense, but in, but the fresh seemed to be. She was telling that the fresh was was healthier than the frozen. But I don't really, you know, I don't see any evidence of that. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it might be, but it's probably even fresher because probably the the fresh chicken in a grocery store has probably been previously frozen anyway, uh-huh. and it's like packed from like like I don't know. The, it didn't. It didn't seem like a good, uh, good rationale. It didn't make, seem like an important enough distinction to make a decision on. So, yeah. Oh okay. Boy. So then I, I went my, we went our separate ways, and <laughs> Wait, you just then, tagging along. No, no, because they were like zooming all over the place, like getting like a, like a big tour. Oh. And she did say it's best to stay at the outside of the store, well, that's right? Good. Okay. 
because the the bad things are more likely to be on the shelves. The cookies live in the middle, yes. ladies. Okay. So and I did not see any cookies at the end, but I did. They were in the aisle next, the checkout line next to me, and um, there was Special K cereal. You know, which, which is the most high glycemic yes. stuff you can get. It's like one something. It's like in the hundreds. Yes. So if, if you're going to pick a cereal that it is going to convert to sugar fastest in your body, that's the one. And um, special K, if you read the label, there's a lot of artificial stuff in there. So it's not mm -hmm. like, I mean, I'm not a big, huge fan of cornflakes, but cornflakes, if you buy the right brand, it's pretty much just corn flakes and maybe like some, probably some preservatives yeah. and stuff. But the list of the ingredients and salt, yeah. The list of ingredients is pretty short. It's not a huge. I don't recommend cereal for breakfast ever, but um, for people who do, that's not special case. Not a good choice. And then they had skim milk, which I'm against skim milk because it gives you not that there's anything like not that it's bad that skim milk, mm -hmm. but you know it, it's it doesn't taste very good. Then why would you? You're saving three grams of fat. Yeah. Per hundred yes. milliliters. And. My personal opinion is that people don't get enough fat, and if they're going to have dairy, they might as well get the fat from it, so they get a little more of the benefits. Plus, a lot of the vitamins that are in milk um, are fat-soluble vitamins. Mm -hmm. So if you're not, so if you eat Special K, which is low fat, and skim milk, low fat, or fat-free in this mm -hmm. case, um, you basically got. Carb heavy. Yeah, and, not, and no fat to help absorb, help, help process the vitamins, and you're Very expensive urine. So what I'm looking at there is, in, in America, there's so many vitamin A and D fortified milks, yet with no fat in them to absorb them, what, what happens to those vitamins? You pee them out, I would guess. Well, from what I understand is even skin milk has at least half a gram. Okay. Of that per absorbing? Supposedly. Supposedly. That's what <laughs> um, so, but the other thing to notice about, well, I'm one of those people where I don't really think you should be getting your vitamins and your vitamins and minerals from your cereals and your milk. So, but if you're one of those people, you might as well go with uh, better safe than sorry and have some. Boy, I'm just happy you didn't follow this lady the whole way through the store. We'll be talking about this the whole show. It's entertaining. To <laughs> she was super least. skinny and I think super like hyper. So, um, yeah. So I don't know whether well, I don't think she was on anything except Could be the for, for high, high on life. High on life. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm all for personal trainers doing education and nutrition mm -hmm. education because it's simple stuff that can really make a difference in their clients' lives and I just hope that more of them get a, a certification that at least teaches them something sensible. Yeah. They did not seem to be sticking to the perimeter of the store. Like they, like most of the stuff in there, I mean they had chicken, mm -hmm. the beers in the outskirts of the store, they had that. They had some fruits and vegetables, but there was the, the special K, the milk, the coffee milk, and then there were um, granola bars, and <laughs> and um, a lot of uh, like wraps, like those big wrap things to like big tortilla wraps to make, make, make something sandwich. with the chicken to make something with the chicken. Um, I think. Yeah, so yeah. so I mean the options in that case. I mean if I was leading the grocery store tour. Um, I would have recommended chickens, fine, if people like chicken, you know, and I'm, I'm not even totally against chicken bread. I, I prefer the dark meat more, but if people like chicken breast, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But then I would have um, tried to do more, some sort of more vegetables, like a salad or chopped vegetables or sautéed vegetables or something with it. And um, I don't know, not, not all of my clients are into the 30 days of real food kind of thing, mm -hmm. so some of them aren't willing to give up things and they just want to you know eat less so I don't think a wrap in that case is the, the worst choice but I certainly would not recommend special K for breakfast I would recommend you know eggs and way more filling. yeah like maybe an omelet or yeah. Greek yogurt mm -hmm. something like that okay so say I have a question for both of you mm. say that one wanted to eat better and went to the grocery store 
and there's all these labels. Natural, organic, fat-free, low-carb. Can we talk about these a little bit? Yeah. Sure. And give people a little bit of an idea what those things are. So let's start with, with natural. Does that mean it's good for you? No. No, there's no solid definition of natural. It's a very relative term. So that could pretty much be just conventional. Yeah. Well, natural actually has no legal distinction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So organic does. It's organic does. But if you say something is natural or all natural, you can, like for instance, Sierra Mist Natural, <laughs> you know, has, you know, it's like soda ingredients. It's only difference between the old Sierra Mist and Sierra Mist Natural is that instead of high fructose corn syrup, it has sugar. Well, I read this article a while back how the FDA allowed high fructose corn syrup to be to be listed as a natural ingredient yes. as long as it was not processed in a facility with other non-high fructose corn syrup ingredients, whatever that is. And there was a big stink about it, and that just yeah. makes me angry because well, I believe I believe they're not allowed to do that anymore. I think I think you're not allowed to say it's natural if it's high fructose corn syrup because. Yeah. Because Sierra Mist used to say natural, and mm-hmm. it had high fructose corn syrup, and they wanted to mm-hmm. keep Sierra Mist natural as the name, so they switched to sugar. Oh, to cane sugar. Yeah. Okay. Which isn't any better. No. So looking for natural on the label is pretty much pointless. Yeah. What about? In our... fact, it could be a red flag. I mean, it's one of those things where I'm always skeptical. Okay. So if I see natural on the label. I have to look carefully because I want to see the well, What are they trying to? What are they trying to hide? Like they may not always be trying to hide because they may mm-hmm. have really good intentions. Yeah, I mean you could have like a like a, a thing of trail mix that's natural trail mix, but there could be raisins, cashews, you know, oh, and things like that. Yeah, but there could be M and M's in there. Hopefully that won't be there. But sometimes you see cra- like craisins, which are not just dried cranberries, but yeah. they're cranberries soaked in sugar and then dried. Mm-hmm. So is that natural? No, but it's delicious. Of course. <laughs> okay. So what about organic? Is that something that people can trust? Well, even organic has various levels on okay. a product. So you can have the highest level, which is USDA certified organic, which means 100% of the ingredients are going to be testified pesticide-free and GMO-free. Mm-hmm. And then you go for organic, which means it has to have at least 70% of the ingredients. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know that. It's good to know. So then, something that's not USDA organic is just less guaranteed to be. Mm-hmm. So it might have maybe the first couple of ingredients, okay. 100% USDA organic, but then you get down to... Mm-hmm. Like the spices or something like that, yeah, or the seasonings, and those aren't organic, USDA organic. Okay. So then they label it. Well, it's organic. So it's better in general, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, it's it's a way for for them to just uh, lower the price mm-hmm. and just get away with not having everything organic because. Like, if you're going to have 100% USDA organic meat, that means all your animals have mm-hmm. to have a USDA organic diet. Yes. So, if, but if you do uh, organic beef, mm-hmm. then... You can still feed them three, 30% mm-hmm. less quality. Yeah, conventional. Yeah. So it's just cheaper that way. Yeah. yeah. One thing I do like about organic... Um, the organic label is that, in theory, if it's labeled organic, you shouldn't have any, there should be no GMOs in yeah. there, right? Because a GMO, I mean, maybe they can still get away with this 30% thing, mm-hmm. but one of the, my pet peeves is GMOs. And mm-hmm. Not that I think that GMOs are necessarily bad for us, but it hasn't been proven. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, um, like we're being, like they're trying to get away, they're, they're yeah, taking a risk. And there are people that at least want it. They, these manufacturers fought so hard. They say people want GMO. They want that GMO choice. But then they fought so hard against, in California, labeling the GMOs. Mm-hmm. 
So we tried to get the labeling on it, and they spent so they spent like millions of dollars mm -hmm. to fight this thing. Um, so if they ever wanted it, why wouldn't you just allow the labeling? Yeah. So it, it just it definitely makes it seem yeah. like they're hiding something. Yeah. So if you look for organic, mm -hmm. you reduce the you reduce your GMO load. Absolutely. So you're not supporting the companies or the the growers that are doing GMOs. But you still have to check the label. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to like fruits and vegetables between the USDA and just the plain organic, it's more of, it comes down to the farmers having to pay a certification, mm -hmm. and the USDA one, it's just way more rigorous and expensive for the farmer, so then they tend to opt for just the just regular, regular organic. organic. Okay. I heard an interview with somebody too that talked about how you even farms go through stages, because you can have, like the like if you buy a farm and you want it to be organic, mm -hmm. you can stop using pesticides now and you get one label. It's not organic, but it's like you are, um, there's a different label, there's a level of, of certification mm -hmm. that you get, but you cannot actually get the 100% organic label until you've been pesticide free for, I think for four years or yeah. five years or something. Yeah. So until then, you can still, you can't say you're organic. All you can do is say, I don't use pesticides. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, Which is done mm -hmm. at the farmer's market. Yeah, like yeah. They'll, they'll be pretty clear. Like, I have, you know, my land is not cleared yet for organic, but I don't use, I don't ever add anything on to it. Yeah. So. yeah, you can always ask at the farmer's market. And one thing that really helps my clients is, is people get very confused when they want to start eating more real food, and all of a sudden they feel like, everything they're trying to do is bad for them mm -hmm. and you know they, they want to go 100% they want to go organic on everything but first even if you can financially do it maybe that's not necessary mm -hmm. or maybe that'll make your source of food very limited because it's very hard for some parts of the year to find organic eggplant or organic zucchini mm -hmm. there's just some things that you can, or like organic watermelon is almost impossible to yeah. buy where we are. So I give them the list of um, the dirty dozen mm -hmm. and the clean 15, which are the most common, and we'll put the, a link in the show notes, yeah. uh, which are the most common, dirtiest, most pesticide laden fruits and vegetables versus which are the ones that you don't need to buy organic always, like avocados yeah. or... Um, things like um, squash and I think bananas as well. Oranges, At the right. same time, uh, apples, which almost every kid eats every day mm -hmm. here in America, are I think number one yeah. on the dirty dozen. Apples. So organic apples would be a priority. So organic yeah. apples would be a priority because if your kid is eating seven of those a week, that's true. Would you rather? Then, you, know, you should also. I never thought of that. But yeah. things you eat the most of, yeah, that's most important. Would you rather anything. give them, you know, those apples organic versus the one eggplant your family uses once a month to make, you know, some Greek dish? Yeah, it's not such a big deal. But the things that are the highest frequency in your diet, and the same goes with coffee. You know, if you're drinking coffee every morning and it's a crappy coffee, do you really want to do that to yourself in the amounts that? Yeah. Like we consume at home. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I tell people, because a lot of people get really hung up on this, like they start dieting yeah. and they get really obsessive and they want to eat everything organic, like you just said. And one of the things that I remind them is that it's not that organic farmers still use pesticides, but they're natural pesticides, right? So, but they can be, I mean, if they're still pesticides that are killing bugs, so they're not perfect, right? They're just ones that are like made from cyanide, you know, or something like that, or copper. Like I know they spray copper on things to keep fungus from going. So our body is not, we're not supposed to be ingesting a lot of copper, so it's important that it gets washed off, it doesn't mm -hmm. always. So even with, whether you have organic or non-organic, make sure to rinse your, rinse and sort of use your hands to scrub yeah. your things. Those, uh, we're reading some articles about how those uh, special soaps and cleansers don't really work, so mm -hmm. it's really just important to rinse them well. And when, if you're so hung up on the organic stuff, just for, but you can't find it, then you, you don't necessarily have to pass on it because it's not, organic is not perfect and conventional is not the devil. Mm -hmm. There's 
both of them use different pesticides at different amounts. Yeah. Both of them can be dirty in different amounts. So, so hold on to the pesticides, like berries. Yeah, or strawberries. Yeah. They're so, just so intricate, you just can't wash off the pesticides yeah. so, without destroying exactly. them. Exactly. So people think of... Don't scrub your strawberries. Yeah, I know. People think of uh, organic as zero and conventional is 100, but it's yeah. really, it's not, you it's know, it's, sliding scale. it's yeah. going to be, you know, they're, they're much closer to them than, uh, to each other than we think, than mm -hmm. most people think. So do your best, buy organic, mm -hmm. but when you can't, go ahead and buy the other stuff, wash it well, make, uh, if you have a choice from like a local farmer, I would go with that whenever, whenever possible. Go with local and seasonal whenever you can. Yeah. Okay. But don't go crazy. And at the same time, um, if there's something that you really crave, there's a lot of fruits and vegetables that are great frozen. Mm -hmm. um, people almost wait for the okay to start buying frozen food, yeah. and and it's perfectly fine. And yeah. it's, it's not nutritionally inferior to fresh food. In fact, sometimes it'll be better for you because it was picked when it was the ripest. It mm -hmm. was in season. It was highest in nutrients, and it was flat frozen versus something that's traveled all the way from Chile or wherever those grapes are coming from right now in uh, and, and, and apricots and peaches I just go in the store and it's February and I'm like this just doesn't feel right so since last summer every time I go shopping for my dad because I do all this shopping for him he always asks for cherries I'm like, Dad, there's no oh. cherries. Dad, there's no cherries. Dad, there's no, like, because he's like, oh, what are you talking about? There's got to be cherries. And I go, Dad, it's, it's winter. Oh. You know, there's no more cherries. Cherries are summer. So, like, two weeks ago, I'm in the grocery store, and there's cherries, and I'm like, oh, how could there be cherries here? And it's because they're flown in from... Somewhere. From, they're yeah, probably very expensive, too. Yeah, probably New Zealand cherries yeah. or something. It's just wrong. And they were pretty expensive. So, going down the list of things I wanted to ask you about, what about fat-free things? Well... Like fat-free butter, uh, fat-free cheese. Okay, so, if, an, if a food is naturally fat-free, I'm not against it. Yeah. Like, fruits and vegetables are often naturally fat-free. Low fat cuts of meat are fine, chicken breasts are fine. Those are, those are fine, but if you see a product on the shelf that used to not be... Like mm -hmm. you know, like however it was typically made, had plenty of fat, and now it's fat-free. It's probably crap. Mm -hmm. And you just won't be being filled. Yeah. For the serving. Yep. It it just isn't going to be digested as slowly as yeah. the fuller fat would, and it's just not satisfying. Like baked chips, for example, mm -hmm. not those baked ways, because those are like these manufactured pressed product filled with stuff that I don't know what it is. Like potato flakes. Yeah, they're delicious, but they're but don't eat them. But let's say for a while it was popular to have these baked corn chips. Mm -hmm. And they were extremely unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. Like so you would just probably eat more of them. Just went through your body yeah. super quick. And I think um, they've done studies where people tend to eat more of a fat free product. Uh -huh. I think because they're not unsatisfying and mentally you think it's I will also say food. that as we learned from like foods like the Snackwell cookies and like low like fat free crackers, fat free cookies, fat free cakes, um, the only way to make the texture like if you pull fat out of a cake or a cookie, the only way to make it tasty and soft and you know edible, uh -huh. you have to add something in that keeps it from being like hard as a rock. Yeah. So that can be that has to be either sugar, mm -hmm. but that comes out to have to add sugar or sugar alcohol, um, yeah. Or some sort of a preservative or yeah, a softener or, the, or yeah. something. It's yeah. like a cracker or something and plenty of salt and yeah, just fake chemical things. Well, we were talking about ice cream, so like the science of ice cream, oh, like yeah. to make it not hard as a rock, like if you have frozen yogurt that is as, you know, that's super... It's fat free. Mm -hmm. In order to keep it from going hard as a rock, you have to add more sugar to it because uh -huh. sugar changes the, the temperature at which something will freeze solid. Mm -hmm. So by adding more to it or adding sugar alcohol to it, you see maltose or mm -hmm. those kinds of things to it, it keeps it from freezing as solid. So sometimes they don't even really want it to be sweeter, but they have no choice. Yeah. So they have to add other fillers to it to keep it from <laughs> To keep it from being as sweet. And then you have all the modern things like guar gum and locust gum. Yeah, yeah those things also and like keep it from freezing it solid. Really yeah. 
What is loca doing in my food? <laughs> Probably not a bug, but I'm not sure. I, I don't know. It's in the Bible. I'm scared. Carrageenan is like some sort of moss. Spanish moss or something mm -hmm. like that. I don't know what it is, but it makes very strange things up there. It makes really most bad. of my clients have stomach aches. Yeah. And digestive, digestive issues. Yeah. And yeah. gum is for like, it's, that's from some sort of a bean, like a mm -hmm. bean. Mm -hmm. It's it's just scary to think about it. At one point, I got this app for my smartphone, which had all the preservatives in it, and you could look them up and what they do. It was so scary. I just stopped doing it and deleted it. Um, <laughs> then just don't buy things that have these things on the label. You should be fine, or just eat them very very rarely. Well, what about low carb? Come on, bring on the bacon. What do well, you do with low carb? Low, low carb foods. Well, I mean, the, the best low carb foods are.
with celebrities with going on these gluten-free diets and they're supposedly losing weight. But, you know, like Roland was saying, when you start making these substitutions with the gluten-free products, there's still just as high calories, just as high as carb loads. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not going to make you lose weight. Well, and yeah. my, my biggest issue is with the gluten-free bread, which if you read the ingredients, sometimes there's like 12, 14, 16 mm -hmm. ingredients to make this thing look like and taste like bread. And sometimes there's flours from, you know, 10 different cultures versus having a bread that's just wheat and now you know you can't tolerate wheat. Or bread that's just rye and now you know you can't tolerate rye. Well, now you just introduce millet and spelt and camut and god knows what else and rice in, in your system and it's finely ground so it there's so many more unknowns to what you tolerate and what you don't when you put these things in here okay final question should we buy meat that says it's grain fed or vegetarian fed well they advertise it like it's a like Yay! Green-fed meat. so much better. Yeah. Versus feeding them animals? Like, what's the deal? That's, well, that's what they are eating anyways. Well, cows don't. But like, cows eat grass, are supposed to eat grass. So, mm -hmm. like, if you go back in time to the 50s and before, before yeah. most cows, they probably eat small amounts of grain, but the majority of their time they were pastured. Mm -hmm. So they were out there eating, eating grass. And they would bring them in in the winter, and they would eat. They would feed them grains. A lot of times they fed and them, hay. right? And um, and they would feed them the leftovers of grain called silage. Mm -hmm. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yes. And what that is is silage. Silage. So what that is is if you let's take a the most recognizable one. If you have because everyone knows what a stalk of corn looks like, right? Mm -hmm. So that stuff that you peel off the corn and the leaves of that. You put that in a big bin until it ferments, mm -hmm. and so that you can keep it over the winter, and then they feed that to the cows. Mm -hmm. So are they technically eating, they're not eating the grains that always, but they're eating a grain, like the leaves of a grain plant, mm -hmm. yeah. which is not a big deal, and it's fermented, that's not a huge deal. But as soon as they got to the point where they, there was so much grain in the world that they could feed, them, feed the cows nothing but grain, 90% grain. There's so much demand for... The beef, yeah, and they're growing fast. Yeah, and that's the benefit I think to the farmer is that cows grow so much faster on grain. They yeah. grow fatter on grain, just like humans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so um, but it, it makes the cows unhealthy, and so if you're meat, and you really want to eat meat that's unhealthy. I mean, I mean, so, it's not the end of the world well, for what us with these things. When, like you were saying, they weren't naturally raised. And they're not supposed to be eating this grain diet. And when that happens, is the cow's liver actually becomes filled with fat. And fatty liver disease. Mm -hmm. And they get sick, and then they have to give them antibiotics because they yeah. they're sick. And it's just... And never drive through the and... Texahoma area of this country where you well, we drove see... Through Kansas and was... You see... We drove cross-country in Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, with just piles of cow with cows walking on top of them. Cows it was just seas of cows. It was. I'll try to fish out those pictures somewhere from my um, computer. It's just scary. If you want to become vegan, take that trip, but don't become vegan because of that trip. It's just, <laughs> just it's, avoid it and don't become vegan. Yeah, it's just so sad. Okay, okay so, so you said grass-fed. Grass-fed. So the things to look for, right, are grass-fed when it comes to beef is the mm -hmm. best if you can find it. Um, I'm not sure about this, but for, if you like lamb, somebody, I would have to, I'm going to have to look into this, but somebody told me that since lambs, this is sad, the lambs are baby, baby sheep, right? Yeah. Okay. So, like baby cows and baby lambs still eat their mother's milk and grass. They're not, their digestion is not ready to be fed grains. Mm -hmm. So in theory, lambs are going to be healthier, they haven't been exposed to whatever bad foods long enough, and they've been eating grass. In my culture you can buy um it's called a suckling, like a like a suckling oh, wow. little sheep or a suckling calf 
where it's still not eating actual food, it's still, you know, being breastfed, and that's like considered the best meat. That's like deal. Yeah. Very, very tender. Very, very tender and, and just totally cruel, but extremely delicious. <laughs> it's complicated being human. Yes. It's complicated. Okay. So, I hope we don't get hate vegan meat. I know. For I know. This. <laughs> okay. Do you guys. Go meat. Go meat. Um, do, do you want to move on? Yeah, I'm just going to say, give me the, the chicken example. Okay. So, and, or so the. the Grass-fed beef is getting easier to find in stores. You still have to search it out. The pigs are omnivores, so they'll eat anything. Mm-hmm. So they don't just eat grass. You can't look for grass-fed pigs. They don't, eat, they, don't eat a lot, they don't eat a lot of stuff that. They don't eat a lot of, uh, of grass, but they'll eat like like the best, I guess, pigs eat fruit and mm-hmm. vegetables and leftover stuff like from the farmhouse, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. So but what you're looking for is pastured pigs. Because pigs, like cows, they need to be outdoors, mm-hmm. getting sunlight, so they get healthy hormone, hormonal levels, vitamin D, just like humans do, mm-hmm. and those are going to be the healthiest. And then when they're the healthiest, they don't need to be fed all the antibiotics, and so they need to go for pastured pork, which is harder to find, at least around here it is. Yeah, I haven't seen it. So we have to get it online, usually. Um, and then you want chickens, which is, you want... That's a tough one, but you want, it's not cage-free, it's, it's free-range you're looking for, or pastured chickens is what you need. Well, we're going this week, uh, on Saturday, we're visiting a Weston Price meeting, and, um, an actual grass, yeah, a grass, California. yeah, we're visiting a grass-fed chicken farm, or whatever they're called, so we're going to talk to the chicken farmers, and, Hopefully they can maybe shine. Yeah, maybe they can shine more light, and we can share this mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. But we're super excited, and these farmers are hot, so I'm very excited. <laughs> are they all guys? I think they have whites, so you're safe. Where's the pictures? Yeah, mm-hmm. they're like all like CrossFit people. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Kettlebells and cows and chickens. Temecula? Yeah, yeah. That's hot. So exciting. Mm-hmm. Hot. And um, we'll see them. Moving we'll, on. We'll see how that goes. So let's let's move our attention to um, the, the movement topic just real quick, and then move on to talking about registered dietitians. Yeah, um, we're we're at thirty seven, so we have about five minutes for the movement topic. <laughs> okay, we can cover that next time if you want. Well, we can cover it real quick. We we read a couple of studies uh, in the past few weeks about uh, training frequency. And so one of them was comparing um, movement throughout the day, uh, dispersed in a minute here, two minutes there, or you know more minutes just throughout your day versus a structured workout program. Yes, correct. correct. The good news is that both of the things we're going to talk about is good news, mm-hmm. right? In my in my point of view, because or from my point of view, um, if you can, I mean, I love to go to the gym. I love to work out. I think uh, Gaudi does too, but there are a lot of people that want to lose weight and they don't like to go to the gym. I mean, that's not their goal. Their goal is, oh, I only want to go to the gym is the number of times and for the amount of time that I have to to, to get in shape. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I'll develop a habit mm-hmm. of, of good exercise, good exercise habits and keep it on. But they don't want to go to the gym four or five times a week. They don't want to be super strong. They just want to be stronger. They don't want to be super jacked. They just want to be less fat. Less fat. So the studies show that whether you exercise with a structured program or you do things throughout your day, like walking or... They had examples of, yeah, they have people who walked more. Like so, instead of having this exercise, you know, they walked a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. And I think it was 30 minutes of exercise spread throughout the day. Yeah. Now we're not talking, I mean, walking is a good part of it, but they're also talking about how you don't have to go to the gym and do bench press, squats, things like that. You could, some of these people in the study were just doing their push-ups in the morning. They would mm-hmm. get up, they would do their push-ups, and then later on they would walk, and then they would, they were at the park, and they would do some pull-ups. And so it's not a structured exercise program, but they hit these things throughout mm-hmm. the week. Yeah, so it's just as good as actually going to the gym. Is it just as good to compete in a strongman competition? No, but you can be relatively healthy and uh, keep from um, yeah. disease. Now this was that. mostly health related, so mm-hmm. it was like were your health markers as good, and they were. Yeah. And they, um, as long as you 
in my opinion, as long as you consider this to be exercise, it helps you to motivate to stay on your diet as well. So that's a big component of exercise that I found is that people who exercise regularly also take more care about their diet because they know that they work in conjunction with one another. Well, yeah. this is interesting because it reminds me of a study that was done on these maids. And I think we've never discussed this, but um, at one point this group of researchers looked at two groups of maids um, and they told half the maids that cleaning, what their job was, was actually exercise and they could lose weight doing it. So the ones that were told that cleaning, that their job as maids was exercise, actually lost like a bunch more weight than the other ones. I think it was like four pounds more. I have to go back and check and put it in the show notes. But the argument of the researchers was that knowing that what you're doing is exercise is making you do it harder, and it's also making you be more strict with your diet. So it was a very interesting, it was a very interesting study. Good. Yeah. So what was the other study we wanted to talk about? It was the one with exercise frequency. So four yeah. versus six times. And, and in this particular one, the study was from 60 to 75-year-old women. Mm-hmm. And which I think is important because a lot of elderly people are overweight and they want to get in shape, but I mm-hmm. think they look at me and I don't have time. Or like, I, I don't want to do all these things. And I want to do it for every day of my life. Yeah, like my mom, for instance. Like, she doesn't want to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. She only wants to go to the gym the minimum number of times, right? But so many personal trainers say, well, you need to come in here three or four times a week, plus you need to do you need to That's do all this walking, own. or you need to ride this, you know, you need to do your cardio on your own. So the study looked at people who did exercise twice a week, four times a week, and six times a week. And the four times a week was just walking two days, and gym time two days and the six days was I think it was half and half yeah but the interesting thing was that the more people exercise the less they move throughout their day and their caloric expenditure actually went down yeah so they weren't actually studying calories in this but they, they noticed because they were looking at health markers mm-hmm. and the health markers went up in they, for the two-day-a-week people and the four-day-a-week people, it was a, there was a big jump in the health markers between the two-day and the four-day. So it was better to do the four days, even though it was just two days in the gym and two days of like, walking. But the health markers of the... There was no, virtually no change to add those extra two days. Mm-hmm. And then, as a side note, they looked at, well, let's see what the calories burned were anyway. The and the pounds lost. So the people, it was not a, they were not on a weight loss diet, but the people who only exercised two days a week didn't lose any weight. The ones who exercised four days lost, or I think it was one pound and four pounds yeah, or something like that. Yeah, their resting expenditure went up. Yeah, and then, but interestingly enough, the people who exercised six days a week, they didn't lose any weight. And they were not motivated and they were tired. They were tired. They were grumpy. Yeah, so I think that's the big part of it is they were working out too hard. And, you know, so it's a subconscious thing. When you work out so hard but you're tired, you might think you're doing the same amount of stuff, but you more than make up for your tiredness by sitting on the couch more, mm-hmm. not getting up as many times. To, more often. Yeah. And we'll get into it with restorative exercise with those active and passive ways to use your body. Mm-hmm. So you can stand actively or stand passively, sit actively or sit passively. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can do that more in the next show because yeah. I want to move on to your well, arm. Yeah, I think we've all been sore too. So yeah. when you're sore, you move around less. Yeah. So people who are working out six times a week, they're more likely to be sore, have aches and pains, less time for recovery in between. Well, I literally so see result, people just... popping Advils before and after workouts oh. in the gym and I'm sure that long term that's not a good idea, and that's why you're still fat ladies. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, you you have to stop kidding yourself at some point, and um, just, you know, get real and see what's sustainable, what's not, and stop hurting yourself, start taking care of yourself better. Yeah, I've noticed that there's like, a, you know, it's very common, oh, I'm just going to knuckle down, it's I'm going to really get in there, and they'll work really, I'm just going to work really hard, and, you know, and hardly eat anything for a couple of months, I'm going to lose all that weight, and then after that I'm going to be fine. But mm-hmm. you wipe yourself out, you destroy yourself, and then, I mean, I've done it, I've like worked out too hard mm-hmm. for too many days, I end up being really hungry, 
Mm-hmm. And I just get grumpy. I can't not. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that was pretty cool. Let's move on to our guest, shall we? Yeah. Okay. I want to ask the first question. I want to ask the first question. Yay. Okay. So, I don't know if you knew before we told you, but in the internet slash blogosphere, there's a lot of bashing of RDs. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, registered dietitians don't know anything. They're just telling us what the government's telling us, like it's some big dietary conspiracy. And I totally don't believe it, because if somebody came and said that personal trainers were just, you know, funneling down personal trainer conspiracy, I'll look the same way, because if you look at people who have my certification, we have different skills, and we have different ways to deliver the information to our clients. So I'm sure it's the same with RDs. So what is the education or the program that RDs go through um, in order to be called an RD? Well, for me, I received my bachelor's in dietetics, and what that entailed was just covering the fields of dietetics, so I had, you know, just basic nutrition, like what is a calorie and what is protein, you know, Um, but as you move up in the the years of college then it's very very science-based uh, I had organic chemistry biochemistry um, physiology anatomy I also had management you know that's a requirement of being a dietitian is managing the business that you're in mm-hmm um, and then I also had community nutrition, uh, chronic disease nutrition, and then a thesis project at the end of What was your thesis education. on? Is extremely low calorie diets. Oh, interesting. Like, extremely low, like 700 calorie diets. Like the HCG then, diet? Um, but it, it did not include any kind of hormones. Okay. It was... <clears throat> Testing to see or researching to see if it improves longevity. And? And it was inconclusive because, <laughs> because it's just, it's a very new concept. But like, it's conclusive on mice, right? Pretty good on mice? Not sure about mice? No. Not, not even sure about mice? That's yeah. bad for mice. Um, well, where this came, what came from was the Okinawa. You know, they have this culture of people who live long to their hundreds and they researched their diet and found out that they eat about 30% less than Westerners do. So if they can get the calories down low enough then maybe that's what is improving their longevity. Mm -hmm. But there's so many factors that go into longevity. Low stress. Low stress. More sleep. Mm -hmm. They have a very good community and social life versus Westerners. The whole social structure Mm -hmm. of that community. Because I think what sparked it is they would take people from the Okinawa, put them in a Western diet, and they wouldn't have the longevity. But they could be just, you know, putting them in a very high stress. Yeah. Environment. Yeah. We're just moving you from your Okinawan environment, putting you in a, yeah, you're just putting you in a different environment. It would be very hard. I mean, I'm sure that putting a Westerner in a foreign environment, even if it's healthy for the locals, may not be as healthy mm-hmm. for them. That's interesting. I didn't know that about yeah. your thesis. So cool. what we concluded is that as RDs, we wouldn't ever recommend an extremely low calorie diet. Okay. Because for just functionality, you just, it's hard. It's very hard to function on a thousand calorie diet, eleven hundred calorie diet when you're a grown man. Because that's what that's what some of these people were doing. They were thinking they were helping their body by, you know, getting less calories in. They're very nutrient dense calories but less calories in so that your body's not digesting and producing any kind of like toxins or free radicals. Yeah, the cells are keeping the Mm -hmm. turnover very low. Yeah, Yeah. so there's just no chance of cancer or anything, but it's difficult. It's very difficult and it actually ends up making 
eating disorders. Yeah. Well, and because I you have to be just so preoccupied and so regiment. And it's hard to tell if it's the chicken or the egg, since people mm. with obsessive compulsive tendencies are more likely to search out such a way of behavior mm. uh, versus that way of behavior making the obsessive compulsive. Yeah. Um, so, what's the difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist? Mm. Is there uh, a difference? Yeah. For a registered dietitian, they have to have the bachelor's in dietetics. Mine was food science and human nutrition with an emphasis in dietetics. So once you have that, I mean there's there's no title to that besides just a bachelor's degree. So what I had to do in addition was I had to do an internship, which was 1,400 hours of supervised practice. And what I did was I had, it split up into three categories. You have your clinical dietetics, your food service dietetics, and then your community dietetics. So those are the three fields and you can just go into your own specialties all within those three fields. I mean, it is such a vast career. You know, I came out of my bachelor's degree and I was like, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> like I'm not ready to do anything. So when you, so after your bachelor's and you're ready to go into your internship, mm -hmm. is there specific registered dietitian training that they give you to go no. into this? No, just your bachelor's is good enough. Okay. Uh, so it's there's no. To have so volunteer the, work. So that for the rest of your nutrition training is sort of on the job training with the. Oh yeah. So like. Before my internship, I had never went to a hospital to do clinical dietetics, and I was I was nervous. <laughs> so you learned additional dietetic information from the people that you were working with mm -hmm. or working under in these internships. Oh, oh yeah, it was okay. so cool to be able to take all the education that I had learned and start applying it. It was so neat too finish this crazy 400 level clinical dietetic class, which even at the end of that, I still didn't quite understand what I had just <laughs> gone through for the last three months. But then once I started applying it and doing the assessments on the patients and doing the education sessions with them and writing the notes, I was like, man, I know a lot. Like, What's I this? finally see what... I was learning all these years. <laughs> That's awesome. Was this where you did dial where you went to dialysis mm -hmm. ward? Yep, I did the dialysis through my internship as well. And um that was really neat because you just don't learn very specific things in school. It's all very general. Mm -hmm. Lots of lots of chronic disease. It's like the actual physiology. Of chronic disease is what I learned in school. So people will come up to me and they're like, show me a piece of fruit. And they're like, what's in this? And I'm like, I don't know. But I'll tell you what it does in your body. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very good at that. So to get back to your question about like, what's the difference between the nutritionist and the dietitian is, um, Anyone is able to become a nutritionist. You know, they can hopefully go and get the certification and become a nutritionist. So, like, I've heard chiropractors mm -hmm. become nutritionists, and, and anyone can offer nutrition education. But with dietitians, they have to do that internship before they can even study to become a registered dietitian. So, so would you say more work with actual patient populations mm -hmm. versus just general eat this apple versus apple juice? Right. So something that I think dietitians would kind of cover as far as their clientele would be people with chronic disease, so diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, uh, any kind of eating disorders. I think all of those diseases 
um, really need to have a dietitian perspective because they have just such a heavy education in the chronic disease and the physiology of that. Um, in the food service, they're using dietitians for all these calories on the menus or just ordering certain foods or like in school food service. The USDA requires that children be given certain nutrient amounts on average throughout the week. Mm -hmm. So the only way to really guarantee that is to have a dietitian on board making sure that they're putting together the menu and they're putting it into the nutrient analysis program and that it's matching up. Okay, that makes sense. So somebody that would search out a registered dietitian versus a nutritionist would be somebody with a specific condition, mm -hmm. like a medical condition? Yeah. Okay, that, that's pretty clear cut. Yeah. I like that. And it's nice when, like Roland and Nia's, nutrition coaches we can help people with food preparation or organizing mm -hmm. their menus or shopping or cooking with them and teaming up with someone like you who could actually say what to eat and how to manage chronic disease yeah. is very cool yeah because we cannot say like if, if somebody comes to us and says you know i have diabetes mm -hmm. i cannot say oh you know i can give you a diabetic diet that's going to right. really help you i can give you a, i could give them a diet that's going to help hopefully you know, if, you know maybe they have something else i won't lose weight i want to get stronger mm -hmm. um you know, so i could give them a diet that would help them lose weight and i can give them a lower carb diet that i think is going to help them lose weight and a byproduct might be that it helps their diabetes but i can't say i can help your diabetes yeah well and even dietitians in the state of california cannot prescribe anything they can't even prescribe a diet oh really yeah uh, it's a licensure thing. Some states in the U.S. do licensure, so the dietitian can go into the hospital and actually prescribe the diet. We're not allowed to in California. Without we can, can, is there something else you can get? We can recommend. But, okay. But it is the doctor that will confirm the prescription of the diet. Okay. So that's very cool, though. Mm -hmm. Um. I want your, and it's going to be a direct question, just your take on diabetes and diabetes management because we've talked um, on previous occasions uh, about just people who end up in dialysis ward mm -hmm. and how hard that life is and just knowing that so much can be done to prevent that stage of diabetes complication. Mm -hmm. So can I ask, yeah. so I, I would not aware, is, dial, is kidney failure, is that a common um, result complication of diabetes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. In kidney, well, in most dialysis patients, it is a result of either being diabetic or hypertension. Hmm. Those are the two greatest reasons why they are in dialysis. Um, hypertension because, you know, the blood is just constantly going into the kidneys and it just wears all the blood vessels down. And then with the diabetes, it's the constant high sugars that also just degrade the, the blood vessels and the nerves. So for many, many years, people who are type 1 diabetic have been eating carbs at every meal and adjusting their insulin accordingly. And Roland was just sharing before the show about his um, mom who had to do that and, you know, probably passed early way before her time she lost toes and um her she had cancer she died of cancer mm -hmm. but her doctor had told her that her her circulation was so poor mm -hmm. that it would really affect how the chemotherapy you know mm -hmm. so it would really degrade the way chemotherapy so how effective it was. yeah so she chose she had lung cancer she chose not to have mm -hmm. chemotherapy and just have the surgery and then just you know live out the rest of her life yeah. without the chemotherapy but she did tell me that, it, you know, the doctor had said at that time that years of blood sugar mm -hmm. spikes and crashes, spikes and crashes had degraded the nerves and, the, and her circulation to the point where it was going to be less effective. Yeah. 
so and she lost toes and all sorts of things like that for circulation. Yeah. Do you, in your opinion, with what you've seen in the dialysis clinic, would eating less carbs and injecting less insulin allow you to prolong the time before you go on dialysis? Yeah, I absolutely think so. Um, it's like, it's not a band-aid. You don't want to ever use insulin as a band-aid as a, oops, I, I ate too many carbs or I really want that dessert. I'll just, I'll just have more insulin. And I think there just needs to be a greater awareness that it's more than just the blood sugar level that you're trying to control. It's the, how your body processes the synthetic insulin that's going into your body because it's having far more consequences than just keeping your your blood sugar balanced. Yeah. You know, I think that people think of insulin as taking care of the problem that I have right now, which is I have too much blood sugar. Mm -hmm. you know, my blood sugar is too high. So I want to take insulin to reduce the blood sugar. But they don't think that, they don't see that the actual blood sugar spike even though it later got controlled, was a problem. Just like they don't see that the blood sugar low, you know, that has mm -hmm. to be then controlled by more sugar added, is, was a problem. So they think of the average, it's fine, and I'm surviving today, mm -hmm. and they think it's fine, but I don't think they realize that the, the kind of nerve and circulation damage that you can get over, you know, over years and years yeah. and years of these ups, these unnatural ups and downs. Yeah. And I don't know, do you guys know what um, hemoglobin A1C mm -hmm. is? Mm -hmm. So it's the, the red blood cell that's filled with the blood sugar, pretty much. It's the easiest way to explain it. Getting glycated. Mm -hmm. So it gives kind of a three-month picture of how high your blood sugar has been. That can end up giving a false read if you are injecting yourselves with way too much insulin. Okay. So, awesome, you have a really low A1C, but you're also using three times the amount of insulin that you're supposed to be using. Yeah. And and I think people really take that for granted. Recently, uh, one, of, uh, one of our friends who's type 1 diabetic did the 30 days of real food mm -hmm. challenge, and she said, you know, I can. I went from 40-some units a day to 20 units a day. That is so amazing. And I can eat a piece of chocolate without injecting insulin. That's how good her tolerance was. Good. And she's been diabetic since she was a kid, and she's in her 50s. Yeah. So that made me so happy. Not because we have the 30 days of real food as something to control disease, but just as a way to eat better. Mm -hmm. And let's just see what your body does. I think there's a there's a secondary part like the big problem with um, like or one of the large problems with type two diabetes, which is insulin resistance. So your body can still produce insulin, but um, what? It's the battery going oh, on okay. the symbol. So um, your body can still produce insulin, but your body cannot process that insulin as effectively, or cannot use that insulin to pull the mm -hmm. sugar out of your out of your blood and process it. So it has to produce more and more insulin, mm -hmm. which causes this problem. So even with type 1 diabetics, if you are stressing your body less and less with fewer blood sugar spikes, mm -hmm. fewer less, and having to use less insulin, you're, even though you can't produce any insulin on your own, you end up being able to more easily process the sugar with smaller amounts of insulin because you're not mm -hmm. as, because you're more insulin sensitive, yeah. not as resistant. Mm -hmm. So there's some benefits to that too. It's not just reducing the amount of insulin, but it's you're, it's you're also reducing the amount of insulin even more because your body is even more healthy, your cells are more healthy and able to process it. And we have a great diabetes book recommendation that we're going to put in the show notes for those of you that want to read more about how to control your blood sugar through food. Very nice. Yeah. Do, you have, do we have more questions? I think we're good for now. I just want to have Autumn on the show again. Very nice. Are you any closing uh, anything you wanna say? Yeah, I just like I really admire your your guys' work. Oh, you're so because cool. you guys really are knowledgeable, and I just admire all the hours and 
this research that you guys have done. Like, you guys are, yeah. are solid. We are RD-approved. <laughs> hey, she wrote uh, one of the reviews on Amazon of Man on Top was, I'm an RD and I approve. And I'm like, <laughs> right yeah. on. That's awesome, man. RD-approved. I love it. Thank you so much for... Thanks for coming on. Will you come back on. again? Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Check out the show notes, and we'll have links in here, and uh, we're good to go. Yeah, and from starting last week, retroactively last week, you can find us through eatwellmovewell.com, which leads to the thing. Yeah, we do. A lot of people ask, hey, you have this podcast. Um, how do I find you? It's Eat Well, Move Well podcast, so we came up with eatwellmovewell.com. It was available. Got it? Yeah. There you go. And you can Yay. find us through there. And if you like us, uh, take a couple of minutes and write us a review on iTunes. That'll help other people find us, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. The more reviews we have on iTunes, the more we pop up in the ranks when people search for a podcast that's uh, on healthy moving and healthy uh, eating and uh, get more people, and we'll be very happy. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Have a great night. Bye. Bye.